bring everyone together for a great time with the Nintendo Switch system. Get the whole family in on the fun with exciting games that everyone can enjoy, like Super Mario Bros. Wonder, Animal Crossing, New Horizons, and more. Nintendo Switch has three different play modes all in one system. Play in TV mode, tabletop mode, or handheld mode when you're on the go. Visit nintendo.com slash us slash switch to learn more. Games rated E for everyone. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Welcome to Star Talk. Your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. Welcome to Star Talk Radio. I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson. I'm an astrophysicist and director of New York City's Hayden Planetarium at the American Museum of Natural History. You're all invited. <laughs> Our show today features an interview with Seth MacFarlane. Many of you know him as the creator and voice talent for the Fox animated series Family Guy. He's also the co-creator of the TV shows American Dad and The Cleveland Show. And in recent years, he's turned his skills to movies, co-writing and directing the hit 2012 film Ted. He also wrote, directed, and starred in his latest movie, a comedy western called A Million Ways to Die in the West. But my connection to Seth comes from the TV series Cosmos, which I hosted. And we'll hear later in the broadcast that he's an executive producer of the series and was instrumental in bringing the show to Fox Television. But in this first part of the interview, I spoke to Seth about Family Guy. For those who haven't watched the series, it's centered on a family. Parents, Peter and Lewis, their children, Meg, Chris, and Stewie, and their pet dog, Brian. The cartoon originally premiered on Fox in 1999, but was canceled in 2002. The show moved to the Cartoon Network in 2003 and immediately became their top-rated show. The first two seasons were also released then on DVD, and the huge sales convinced Fox of the errors of their ways, and they gave their series another run in 2005, and it's been going strong ever since. Family Guy has been described by one critic as a nasty but extremely funny cartoon. I got to agree with that. And the show originally based much of its comedy on the character Stewie, voiced by Seth. Stewie, the youngest child in the family, is a supervillain who conducts evil experiments and has plans for total world domination. But as the show has developed over the years, its humor has expanded to encompass current events and pop culture. When I spoke with Seth MacFarlane, I told him how I first discovered his show. You know, my kids introduced me to Family Guy. They were huddled around their computer. Uh, see, they seemed like smart kids. <laughs> Your kids Sim are smarter than any of my friends. <laughs> Your kids are, what, like 12? No, one is 13, the yeah. other is 17. You're, I have no friends my age who are as smart as your kids. <laughs> so they were huddled around the computer. I said, what are you looking at? <laughs> and they said, oh, nothing, nothing. And then I snuck in there and I said, wow, this is some funny stuff. And then I noticed that... Every second or third episode, there is some reference to science. Sure. 
and it could be a positive thing about science or critique of people who themselves are critiquing science, right? right there right. is some science reference. So I said, there's a thread going through this guy. I wonder what that is. <laughs> I was always a big science fiction fan, and so I, whenever possible, jumped at the opportunity to have Stewie veer into that world. That's right, he's the primary science yeah, yeah. Because certainly conduit. Animation fans tend to be fans of science fiction and have an interest in science. Evidenced by the demographics that attend Comic-Con. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yep. Yes. Yep. Everyone there dressed as Klingon actually knows the difference between fantasy and objective reality. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's true. They know the laws or, of physics. Kind of have a better grasp on reality than, than most people. What a profound concept. Yeah. I never thought about that, but yeah. I think you're probably right. Yeah. And then there's not only the science, there's the persistent reference to science fiction. Well, actually, there's reference to a lot of pop culture, but I think only the science fiction earns full episode attention, right? Yeah. <laughs> like Star Wars. Right. Did George Lucas call you after that? <laughs> it is strange. You know, if you're really being anal about it, is Star Wars really science fiction or is it kind of action-adventure? Yeah. Does it fall into... I mean, if we're really being sticklers about it. I would have to agree because there is no science in it that you're saying, hey, that could happen one day. I mean, I'd love it. Don't get me wrong. I'm, no one I'm, is having those thoughts, unlike yeah. with Star Trek, where they right. actually put thought into the warp drives right, and the right. phasers and the photon torpedoes. Yeah, they know that a parsec is a unit of distance and not time. <laughs> That's a really geeky reference <laughs> to the original. That always bugged me. That always bugged me. Really, even in 77, with all those smart people walking around, nobody caught that, huh? That's Han Solo's boasting of and it's his... Just it, they Millennium thought, Falcon. Well, it sounds like second. Sex sounds like second. It must be time. <laughs> he describes how fast he was in his Millennium Falcon and cites the unit of time yeah. in parsecs. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. like, no. Thank, no. thank God they never got to light years. <laughs> <laughs> so, to my surprise, after we had lunch one day, all you did was ask me questions about the Big Bang and the early universe. So I said, yeah, this guy's like, he's all there. Yeah, yeah. And then nothing else was spoken, and you walked away into the mist. <laughs> and then eight months later, six months later, Stewie visits the Big Bang in his time machine. Now, I didn't see that episode when it aired, but my cell phone started lighting up. Yeah. <laughs> there it was, a full screen credit, yeah. Neil deGrasse Tyson, science consultant. <laughs> I'm trying to remember, did we ask you if we could do that? No, not we at just, all. We were, so we were, it was just us being extraordinarily presumptuous, <laughs> trying to legitimize ourselves. <laughs> this will get the critics on our side, damn it all. But how many cartoons get to cite science consultant? I mean, that was, exactly, yeah. No, it was good. It was, I, I recommend anybody, you probably get it on Netflix or wherever. It's the episode called The Big Bang Theory. Yeah, yep. Stewie uses his time machine to go back to the Big Bang, That's and he's right. outside of the space-time continuum yeah, with Brian. Yeah, oh, yeah. It was brilliant. It was brilliant. Not just because I inadvertently advised <laughs> on it, but I think it was very well done. In my world, everybody's favorite scene in Family Guy is when Peter wants to become a redneck. And, oh, yeah. And take on the culture. Yeah. He gets the hat, gets the boots, they yeah. move south, and he turns on the TV. Cosmos. Tell me what went through <laughs> your head there. What What is that? It's, it's an illustration of the modern-day clash between science and religion. And I don't remember who wrote that gag, but it was in one of our cutaway rooms. We have these satellite rooms that go off the main room, and uh -huh. they come back with a series of gags, and we'll pick the best one. So, you know, I'm not the only Cosmos fan on that staff. So I did do the voice of Carl Sagan, though. <laughs> <laughs> let me hear, let me hear something, <laughs> Carl. It's just a slightly, slightly altered Kermit the Frog. <laughs> 
I feel terrible. He's one of my heroes. And I, but it was. He had a very distinctive voice. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. And so in that scene, in case you hadn't seen it, there's Carl Sagan delivering some lines from the original Cosmos, and it's edited. And Peter says, uh, honey, look, it's Cosmos edited for rednecks. Exactly. <laughs> and he says, in the beginning, there was the Big Mac. God. Yeah, I think they got to stretch it all out because that's, that's the only And the universe is 13 billion <laughs> 6,000. <laughs> you know, it's interesting, and I do try, and I know you do as well, to try to talk about that without succumbing to the temptation to say, come on, there's just no evidence. I mean, the Earth cannot be 6,000 years old. It just can't. I mean, it's, it's not a matter of your beliefs versus my belief. It just can't. But there aren't many cartoons that address this. That's my point. <laughs> so my, I tip my hat to you. Did you have any concept at the time that you would be working on Cosmos? No, because I didn't know that it was even being discussed. We, you until... had, we hadn't met. Yeah. You've been listening to Star Talk Radio. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson. When we return, we'll continue the conversation with Seth MacFarlane on how he came to produce the Fox TV series, Cosmos. Welcome back to Star Talk Radio. I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Our show today features an interview with the actor, writer, director, voice talent, Seth MacFarlane. He's also a producer, and he served in that role for my TV series, Cosmos. In this part of the interview, I talked with him about when we first met and how he came to bring this Cosmos sequel to Fox TV. Do you remember when we met? Uh, it was at that seafood. Well, we met at the uh, science. We, that's where that's where we discussed Cosmos. And, no, but we met uh, at the Science and Entertainment Exchange. Now, evidence that there's a science thread running through Family Guy is that you're like a founding advisor to the Science and Entertainment Exchange. This is crazy. Which no, is, it makes it's, crazy good. It's, it's an honorary title of sorts. But. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to have some energy to try to join the two. Yeah, I love the idea because, you know, well, first of all, everyone in Hollywood is also very interested in science. These, these are people who and are... And they're educated. And yeah, they're, 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 they're creative by nature. They're curious by nature, and they want to know. They don't want to settle for what the most comfortable illusion is. They want to know what science can tell them. And, so and, you and some of your pals, who else is in this Well, the, Jerry and Janet Zucker founded it. The, okay, uh, Jerry Zucker of uh, Airplane. Airplane, Naked Gun. Naked Gun, that whole series. Top Secret. So it's a way for writers, producers, creative Hollywood... To actors, connect with scientists. To connect with scientists. Yeah, and yeah. it's a branch of the National Academy of Sciences. Yeah, and I think the thinking was that, well, look, Hollywood wants to get its science right because it just makes us look like we've done our homework, and it's in the interest of the scientific community because the entertainment industry is so widespread, and, and when they see a forensic show or a space show or a medical show or a show that deals with any branch of science, audiences assume that we've all done our homework, and we almost never have. <laughs> Unless you have a science consultant on staff, we've almost never done our homework. And this Look is at the success to... of the sitcom The Big Bang Theory. They have a yeah. physicist on staff yeah. who changes the whiteboards every day with yeah. a new equation relevant <laughs> to what's going on in that show. It's, it's and then, then it gets talked about in the blogosphere, right? Yeah. So it's a very rich thing. Why well, can't you hear the band in the background? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> We're backstage at the Tonight Show. <laughs> and we meet there to the Science and Entertainment Exchange. And then we exchange phone numbers. And it's Hollywood. I say, all right, he's never. And you freaking call me. You yeah. come to New York and you call me. Sorry it was two in the morning and I was drunk. But, you know, a call's a call. <laughs> what the hell were you thinking? 
Hollywood is a one industry town. And the only people that I know in Hollywood who are involved with science are all medical person. They're doctors. They're, I have a friend who's a brain surgeon. And they're some of the most interesting people that I know because you hang out with them and you don't talk about your project. You don't talk about movies. You don't talk about TV. They've got something else to talk about. They've got something of actual of substance mm-hmm. to talk about. And, oh, well, gosh, this Neil guy seems like he knows a thing or two. <laughs> <laughs> He'd be a fun guy to hang out with. Okay, so the first time you visited me in my office and we went to the space show in my office at the Hayden Planetarium, mm-hmm. it, was, it was very cordial and I was pleased that yeah. you thought of me. But that was it. And then it was a second... Call, yeah. Where we were at the seafood place. Yep. yep. You remember that? Yeah, that was. You remember uh, what you asked me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did I you call me? I, I said, I said, I got some disposable income here. Yeah, is, exactly. there, is there any? Is there anything? How often did someone ever come up to anybody? <laughs> what can I do with this? Well, because I, you know, I remembered reading in one of the Sagan. I think it was the Cosmic Connection. I think it was one of his first books. And he was lamenting that, boy, if we had found a private investor to pay for the attachment of this extra little thing to this spacecraft, we could have done this experiment. But I don't remember what it was. Something that stuck with me. It was a unique and lost opportunity. Yeah. They just didn't have the money. And I said, my God, you know, this is exactly the kind of thing I'd, I'd love to write a check for. And so I said to you, you know, what's going on in the world of science that I can be useful? Yeah. And what I told you was, you know, we've got the National Science Foundation mm-hmm. and National Institutes of Health. These are major mm-hmm. government organizations. But the NSF budget is like $6 billion mm-hmm. at the time. So I'm not made of that kind of <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> so whatever is the disposable income you were referencing, it would not really make a difference there. But you didn't know at the time that yeah. Andrian, Steve yeah. Soder, two yeah. of the original writers of the original series and I, and, and Mitch Cannell, were shopping around Cosmos. Yeah. And we had already knocked on the door of Discover Channel and PBS. And yeah. They all wanted to control it and manipulate. So I thought, let me just step <laughs> in this pool of water that you put out there. And I was expecting you to say, well, maybe I can do a pilot. Yeah. That's not what you said. You remember what you said? <laughs> I think I said, Neil, you've eaten all my fries. And, uh, <laughs> yes, I did. They were good fries. So I, I admit, they were good fries. And, uh, and, and I have long arms. I, I, I said, but those two combined. <laughs> I said, why don't I take you into Fox? Yeah, that was the craziest thing I'd ever because heard. In my, no, at that instant, I said, no, he doesn't get it. Okay, <laughs> this is a waste of time. Yeah. The Discovery and National Geographic, look, they're great places. Although but, I think Discovery has that ghost hunter stuff now. Okay? <laughs> That's not so good. Yeah, yeah a there's little a little bit of falling from yeah, grace there. Yeah. But my point is that it took me about 12 seconds after hearing you say, let's take it to Fox. And I said, Fox, he doesn't get it. This is not going to work. But Fox is 20th Century Fox. And Fox is Fox Sports and Fox Business and Fox Searchlight Pictures. And and Fox has the number one show on television. And Fox, that's the best idea. (laughs) (laughs) And so it took me 12 seconds to agree with you. But the first four seconds, if you had said, Neil, what are you thinking about? I would have said, go get out of here. We've got nothing to talk about. You would have kicked my ass in front of the whole restaurant and I would have been humiliated. (laughs) So what possible confidence did you have other than that Maybe you had Fox buy the gonads because you're I, in deep I, contractual yeah. relationship with them. I have pitched shows to them to, and animated shows that they have declined to produce. So it is not an automatic yes from Fox. Plus I, they canceled Family Guy at some point. Yeah. Right? yeah. So nothing was automatic. But this regime that is there now, that Kevin Riley and Peter Rice, these guys are very outside the, the box. So thinkers. these are the executives and their titles are yeah. what? I don't know. They're both chairman, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> President, chairman, big shot, head honcho, big Jesus, top dog. <laughs> 
But I thought, you know, if anyone at a network anywhere is going to bite on something like this, it'll be these guys because they are kind of outside the box. And one of them actually came from Fox Searchlight Pictures. From Fox Searchlight, yeah. Which had brought Slumdog Millionaire Mm -hmm. to the screen. Yeah, and what amazes me is hearing you say that some of the other networks wanted to manipulate. And and it is amazing at the end of the day when we look back. I, I don't think I've ever done a show where there's been less meddling. That was people's fear from a network. When it got announced that Cosmos was appearing on Fox yeah. with you as an executive producer, yeah. people, their heads blew up. They, they said, no, this will never work. <laughs> but they really let this thing be what it is and they didn't try to change it. Yeah, and of course the rest is history. Now one of your big contributions to it is the suggestion that we animate the historical bits, which in the previous Cosmos, it was like glued on mutton chops and fake British accents. So what were you think? I was a little tepid to it, but then when I started seeing the animation was like, hey, I like this. Now I want more of it. And then you can do more in an animation. People can yeah. float up. You can get in the head of people. Yeah. So what were you thinking? Well, you know, for a primetime network, anything you can do to make everything a little splashier. Because, I mean, you know, the original Cosmos was very splashy. It was Sagan... In its 1980s sort of way. In its 1980 mm-hmm. form, yeah. I mean, Sagan, I don't remember the exact quote, but I think he said something to the effect of, I want this show to be so visually stunning that people who have no interest in science will watch just because of the effects. Mm-hmm. And the other reason was that for television, obviously your budget is limited, and we expected a very heavy special effects workload for this show. And as you can see, I mean, they just turned out great. I mean, there's okay, some yeah, beautiful yeah. feature quality effects work that these guys did. So, you know, we can't be blowing all that money building historical sets. Which don't touch new ground. Right. Cinematically. Was, yeah. Right, 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 yeah. right. You know, plus to send you all over the world at all these locations, mm-hmm. there wasn't a lot of wiggle room. So, so you have to put the budget where it, it was, could return the greatest. It was more exciting to look at for a younger audience, and it was more practical budget-wise. So it, it really worked out both ways. Plus, we can get some marquee voices yeah, for it. And to sure. schedule the sound room. Yep. Who do we have? We right. had Patrick Pat- Stewart. Sir Patrick Stewart. Yeah. Amanda Seyfried. Uh-huh. Richard Gere. Kirsten Dunst. You know who I would have wanted? Liam Neeson. We, oh, just, yeah. we could just yeah, get him yeah, to yeah. say, I have a special set of skills. <laughs> <laughs> right, he could have been Einstein. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of these are friends of yours that you've worked with. So, so you were not have. just someone who brought us to Fox. You're someone who had a connectivity that enabled talent to show up for this. In some cases, I think Annie knew... Annie Drillian. Yeah, uh-huh. knew Kirsten Dunst. Yes, that's she, true. But a lot of them just wanted to be involved. You and know, our director of photography, Bill Pope, who, yeah. who directed The Matrix, yeah. my favorite movies ever. Yeah, a lot of people just wanted to be in on this somehow. Paul Sorvino, I think, did the, the show as well. I, I, I know so you, I'll keep coming up with names. So you're saying it wasn't completely you, it was just the total package that had the attractive yeah, force. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's science, it's on Fox, the country yeah, needs it. Yeah, it's a thing that people gravitate towards for some of us who are used to documentary style we had to adjust to having commercials but yeah. you live in the world of commercials yeah. so but yeah. we needed some help there you knew that right yeah, yeah. I, I, there's a lot of tweets i notice commenting on the just absolute dichotomy between what the content of cosmos and then the hard cut to a car commercial or a fast food commercial it's very sobering. Yeah, but the way I look at it is it's like the Russian bear where people say he's not riding the bicycle that well, but then they forgot that it's a bear riding a bicycle. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what a luxury it is to complain about the commercial I know, cuts I know. on Fox for a science documentary. This is true. <laughs> <laughs> What?
Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Fly to the sky on champagne and shout to everyone inside that since the world began, a woman and a man have never been as happy as we are tonight. Welcome back to Star Talk Radio. Our show today features an interview with Seth MacFarlane. In addition to being an actor, writer, director, producer, voice talent, he's also a pianist and singer. He released an album in 2011 called Music is Better Than Words, and it was nominated for a Grammy Award. So naturally, he's particular about the music used in his productions. And the score for his latest movie, A Million Ways to Die in the West, has already garnered critical praise. I spoke with him about the music for that film, the music for Cosmos, and how working as a director of movies differs from being the Cosmos executive producer. So you wrote, produced, directed, starred in A Million Ways. Mm -hmm. In Cosmos, you were executive producer. So am I asking a stupid question when I say, what's the difference? You know, it depends. An executive producer can mean you're running the show on a daily basis, or it can mean you slap your name on it and you go away. And so much of this took place while I was shooting the Western, but between Andrew and scripts and Brandon's writing and... Brandon Braga. Brandon yeah. Braga. And who also directed on the show along with Bill mm -hmm. Pope and, you know, Jason Clark, who pulled together this unbelievable effects work and Caravallo, who oversaw the 2D animation. 
you know, by the time I came back into the mix, these shows were pretty far along and they just looked spectacular. It really came together in a huge way and it's resonated with so many people. Yeah, but you were the glue and the magnetic force that brought... As in magnetic attraction, of course. <laughs> People always say it's a magnetic attraction, but magnets also repel. I wish Garen Spelling of Cosmos. <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad. <laughs> uh, nowadays, when you're on interviews and talk shows and things, in the old days, I suppose they would always ask you about Family Guy, but has Cosmos worked its way? Is Absolutely. It, is, get, is it not part of your identity? I get more tweets about Cosmos than I do about Family Guy these days. Um, I get asked about Cosmos on an average day more often than I can ask about anything else. It's amazing. So now it's another one of your legacies. And just so you know, all of us had to defend you at the beginning of this. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you for that, by the you way. Know, will there be any farts in space? Will there be any? <laughs> will yeah. Stewie? Yeah. Uh, and I said, no, the guy knows science. He understands science. <laughs> to just look at Stewie's time machines. Look at, there's a whole episode called The Multiverse. All right. So it's his time to reveal another Seth. And people kept trying to pigeonhole you. And I said, let the talent arise where it is. So, so we were your defenders. Oh, I beginning. appreciate that. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> it was necessary. I'm told that the Wall Street Journal commented that Million Ways has an awesomely thought through musical track. And yeah, you're a musician yeah, yeah. yourself. I've seen you perform. It's great. You want to be Frank Sinatra, admit it. Okay. <laughs> As you sip your scotch and sure, rocks why and not? during this interview. <laughs> My suit. So the music for a Million Ways, did you pick it? You know, we can talk about music for Cosmos, too. I, I, I'm very picky about composers. My friend Joel McNeely, who uh, I did an album with, was a phenomenally talented composer. He used to do the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, among other things, which had a great score. Wrote a great classic Western score. Oh. Because yeah. we know Western scores when yeah. we hear them. Yeah, gotta have a great composer, and there are a lot of really bad composers working in Hollywood today. But obviously, you know, for Cosmos, for Cosmos, we, we, we got, got uh, Alan Sylvester. Is he your bud? Is he? He, your... he is. He's a friend. He's Man. a friend. And he he was. You know, we had wanted to do something together at some point, and this popped up. And he. he I mean, just to remind people, he did Back to the Future, Forrest Gump, Forrest Gump, for Roger Rabbit, Contact. Yeah, and Contact. Yeah. And uh, it's interesting. At the very end of the last episode of Cosmos, there's a little wink to contact in, in his music. And I got to meet him at one of the parties. He looks like a regular guy. Yeah. <laughs> He's just like you and me. But so talented and wrote such beautiful music for that show. He's been with a full orchestra. It was funny because I'm in the ship, you know, yeah. the ship of the imagination. And during the filming, because you were busy with Million Ways, of course, and you'd check in on us every now and then. But people saying, so Neil, you can have your own theme music like Shaft? <laughs> 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 that wouldn't quite have fit. Uh, so when I, when I saw the first musical mix, I yeah. said, damn. <laughs> Who's the bad motherfucker? <laughs> you, you own that ship, man. You sit there very comfortably. <laughs> You're listening to Star Talk Radio. I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson. You can find us on the web at startalkradio.net and on Facebook at Star Talk Radio. We tweet. At, where else? Star Talk Radio. And if interested, I tweet at Neil Tyson. When we return, we'll have more of my interview with Seth MacFarlane. In the 50s and 60s and 70s, even well into the 80s, there was a national pride that was connected to scientific discovery. And somewhere along the line, that went away. And we started to become less interested. Our space program dwindled. 
When I was a kid, I watched Cosmos, and it was presented in such a way that placed it on a very different category from other science documentaries that tended to be a little on the dry side. And part of it was that you had this personality in Carl Sagan who was clearly so passionate and so interested in this. There's never been a more important time for Cosmos to reemerge than right now because of the fact that we have in too many ways roundly ignored and, and rejected science when it used to be a source of pride for the country and for the species. for that one true friend that he could call his own. And for little John Bennett, Christmas Day brought a very special new arrival. Wow! <laughs> I guess Santa paid attention how good you were this year, huh? Oh, Merry Christmas, John. I love you! I love you too, Teddy. You know... I wish you could really talk to me, because then we could be best friends forever and ever. Now, if there's one thing you can be sure of, it's that nothing is more powerful than a young boy's wish. Except an Apache helicopter. An Apache helicopter has machine guns and missiles. It is an unbelievably impressive complement of weaponry, an absolute death machine. Well, as it turned out, John picked the perfect night to make a wish. Welcome back to Star Talk Radio. I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Our show today features an interview with Seth MacFarlane. In addition to writing and directing the movie Ted in 2012, he voiced the title character, a nasty teddy bear who comes to life. <laughs> as I mentioned in this part of our interview, I played an unexpected role in the creation of this movie. You knew that I had criticized Titanic for getting the wrong sky. Yeah. You called me up and said, look, I'm making Ted. He's born Christmas Eve, 1985. Give me a sky. What was your motivation? You know, I, I didn't want to get that phone call from you, Neil. <laughs> I didn't want to have you call and say, the guy who's involved with Cosmos couldn't get his damn stars right. <laughs> so you called me up. I was very flattered and honored. Mm -hmm. The movie is such a fantasy, but you have the right sky. <laughs> <laughs> and there's Titanic, all serious, and it's yeah. all historical. They just pissed on the sky. <laughs> the sky over the sinking ship was the wrong sky. We know yeah. where the thing sank and what it looked yeah. like. And the left side of the sky was a mirror reflection of the right side of the sky. Those jerks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's so many night star shots in a million ways. I haven't seen it yet, but I've, I feel like I've, I've seen 17 different promos for yeah, it. So yeah. Can I staple it together? Is that the whole movie? You can, um, amazingly, you know, we get asked that a lot. Amazingly, <laughs> there are so many jokes that are not in the trailers. It, it, it actually isn't a situation where... Uh, Wait, the best jokes are yeah, in the trailer. Yeah, you never want that. Oh, man. You, you never want to ruin all your... The Doc Brown joke, I kind of wish we had saved, but it's <laughs> one of many surprises of that type. So just so people know, that was filmed outside of Santa Fe, New Mexico. 
yeah. at the same time while we were God. filming while we were filming Cosmos yeah, yeah. in the studio. So we got to use some of the overhead, the cost of cranes or booms or whatever. Yeah. So thanks for, for oh, sure. riding your cinematic <laughs> hotel. Hey, you know, the past and the future working together. <laughs> Because <laughs> obviously your movie butt is way bigger than our TV budget, but I felt like a part of the family. Oh, there. Neil, always. You were always a part of the family, my friend. So how many night skies did you have to get right? I don't know. You know, we called the effects house, and we were like, just please just check with Neil on all this stuff. <laughs> I, I got a few phone calls, but they didn't ask me to give them a sky, but yeah. I, I think they knew they so were it, all on notice. It may be a disaster. No, they were all, all on notice. <laughs> And if they're not right, I'll tweet about it. Yeah, please do. Please. <laughs> I'll certainly be taking a very close look at the night skies featured in A Million Ways to Die in the West. And when I do, I'll give you a full report. You know, one of the great things about Seth MacFarlane is his desire to get such scientific details right. And his passion for science not only led him to become the executive producer for Cosmos, he also acquired the full collection of Carl Sagan's papers and donated them to the archives of the Library of Congress. He said, and I quote, the work of Carl Sagan has been a profound influence in my life and the life of every individual who recognizes the importance of humanity's ongoing commitment to the exploration of our universe. When Star Talk Radio returns, we'll have more of my interview with the actor, movie director, and science enthusiast, Seth MacFarlane. All right, come on. If Mission Control thought we could help get the shuttle out of orbit, it can't be that hard. Okay, okay, uh, uh, try this. Hit up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, be a start. Then we'll have unlimited lives. Come on, we're running out of time! How, oh, Meg, all your suicide threats over the years, and you are just as chicken as the rest of us. Hey, guys, I think I have an idea that could help us. In Space Camp, we learned about countering forward momentum with retro rockets. If we use them now, the ship might slow down enough for gravity to pull us out of orbit. Chris, if you think it'll help, just try it. Oh, we're slowing down. That's a good sign. Oh my god! I think it might be working! We're spinning out! We have to reorient the retro rockets to counter the spin rotation! Everything's changing so fast these days, and that's a great thing. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load on our desktop computer. But now, there's the Xfinity 10G network. That means the fastest internet, with faster speeds rolling out every day. And internet that can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. So, while one person streams a movie from their room, another can play video games in the basement, while another TikToks in the kitchen. It's the next-generation 10G network, only from Xfinity. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. 
Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. But a long time ago, in a world lit only by fire, our relationship with the stars was far more personal. For thousands of generations, we watched the stars as if our lives depended on it, because they did. We humans, we're not the biggest, the strongest, nor the fastest of all the animals we competed against. But we did have one thing going for us, our intelligence. One aspect of that was a genius for pattern recognition. Night after night, we watched the stars. And over time, our ancestors noticed that the motions of the stars across the nights of the year foretold changes on Earth that threatened or enhanced our chances for survival. Welcome back to Star Talk Radio. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson. In this part of my interview with Seth MacFarlane, we spoke of our hopes and expectations of putting the science documentary Cosmos on the Fox television network. Was there anything unexpected in your work on Cosmos? You know, not really, because I, it, it was such a new experience that I really didn't have any expectation, high or low. You know, I, th- I, th- I have no idea how this is going to turn out. This could be spectacularly brilliant. Or it could be a misfire and we just can't do this for TV in this day and age. Well, we knew that it would survive on content, whether or not it would be a commercial success. Yeah. We knew yeah. we'd get the science right. Yeah. But we'd, no one would know whether but it whether would it would resonate with yeah. people to this degree. And, and, you know, when I watch it, I watch that first episode in a screening room. I'm like, my God, this holds up beautifully. It's like you're watching mm-hmm. a movie. They're just stunningly spectacular episodes. And coming from your broad background, for you to say that, it meant so much to us. Because we're interlopers in your world here. <laughs> no, it's gorgeous. I mean, it's it's a real achievement with the number, of, the amount of different styles of media that are in that show. It's a hell of an achievement. And they would later tell me 13 episodes at a 42-minute broadcast hour is like a nine-hour movie. Oh, yeah. And, and so I look at the call sheets, and I'm the only one that's yeah. ever called well, you know, actors, you know, who's you, coming in. You, you deserve a, a lot of credit. <laughs> There's two things I love about this. Obviously, you know, it's not like Leonardo DiCaprio narrating a a movie about climate change. You're an astrophysicist, so if people approach you on the street having seen the show, you can can walk the walk. We have that conversation, right. It's not just, can I take a picture? It's like, tell me more about the black hole. But for a guy who has, I I hope to God I succeed as well as you have in my version of, of what you've just done, is that, you know, for a guy who is stepping up to the camera for the first time to this degree who is not an actor, who is an astrophysicist, to hold an audience on primetime television for an hour every week is a pretty astonishing achievement. Well, thank you. very proud and, of yourself, and my friend. And also, getting back to that bear, is it how well is it riding a bicycle? <laughs> getting back to that, just to see Cosmos discussed in the same sentence with Game of Thrones. And yeah. with, you know, how's it doing against Game of Thrones? Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah. that's a sentence that someone composed. <laughs> <laughs> As host and as executive editor of Cosmos, I've been totally gratified by the very warm, popular reception the series has gotten, as well as the critical reception it has received from reviewers. And I think it may be a sign that America and perhaps the world are ready to sort of move on, to start thinking of objective realities as the foundation of our interactions internationally and the basis of governance. Who knows? We'll see. Finally, 
I had to ask Seth about his experience on September 11th, 2001. We all have a story from that day. And his has already been featured in our show about the 10th anniversary of 9-11. That's back in Season 2, Episode 30 in the StarTalk archive, in case you want to check it out. And that would be on StarTalkRadio.net. Back then, my interview with him had been over the phone, but now I had him in person. And I thought it would be worthwhile to touch upon it again. So, Seth, is it really true you cheated death in 2001? <laughs> it is true. I cheated death. I gave death a run for its money and patted myself on the back for my ingenuity, to quote Captain Kirk. <laughs> yeah, I was booked on the first flight that hit the World Trade Center, Flight 11. From Boston from, to... Yeah, from Logan to LA. Uh, LA. And through a combination of a little too much to drink the night before and a travel agent who put on my itinerary that the flight left 10 minutes later than it actually did, I showed up and they had just closed the gate. And so they told me I could take the 11 o'clock and... So I went into the lounge and went to sleep and woke up about 45 minutes later. Everybody was huddled around the TV, and the first plane had just hit. And I said, my God, that was the plane that I was supposed to be on. So did this totally freak you out? Yeah, I mean, it was very rattling. The first thing that came to my mind, oddly, was, oh, shit, we're all still in this airport. You know, what if something's going to happen here? That was, I remember the first thing that came to mind is that we should probably get out of here. This is the kind of event that makes people religious. Well, some people. <laughs> some people. Not this person. <laughs> For better or worse, not me. No. The way I see it is every flight that takes off anywhere, somebody probably misses that flight. You cross the street on your way to work, and if you'd crossed the street five minutes later, you would have been hit by a car, and you don't even know it. That kind of stuff happens every day. This was, in terms of our culture, just much more visible and profound than something like that. So you just understand the statistics of it all. Yeah. 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 And you've missed yeah. planes before. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I had missed a lot of planes. Okay. I'm perpetually late for everything. <laughs> okay. All right. So you couldn't overreact in that kind of way. Okay. No. All right. Because I was eyewitness to it. I mean, I lived downtown. Yeah. I saw yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. And, and it was before I knew anything of Family Guy. So this would have been snuffed. Yeah. Right? Right. Which some people, I think, probably, <laughs> they would prefer it that way if there was no Family Guy. Well, Seth, thanks for making time for this. Oh, anytime. Oh, my Always, my friend. You've been listening to Star Talk Radio. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson. As always, until next time, I bid you to keep looking up. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks... Then, there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate. Pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.